Critic Tom Pauline of The Guardian calls this film a substantial achievement and graced by an uncommonly distinguished score. Time Out's Trevor Johnson notes that sheer craftsmanship is the film's key strength. And James Bernardinelli says it is arguably the best motion picture ever made about the process of creation and the creator. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Amadeus. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Hey, Dan. Hello, John. And I have to hello, give... Hello, Starfighters. Hi, hi, Starfighters. I have to give everybody a an apology, a warning. I'm in a, I'm in a new room, and it's very reverberous, and I'm going to try to do whatever I can to, like, dampen that, but, like, there's nothing on these walls, and, uh, yeah, it's... It's a work in progress. May I add to that by also noting that we are recording this in the afternoon, the day after Thanksgiving. My daughter is having a guest over for a sleepover oh. that and she is on her way over. So oh and I think um and my mother-in-law is upstairs doing all so I nobody I don't expect any visitors down here into the uh the Dan the Dan cave, but uh Oh god, do you call it, it that? Well, I just now I oh, did. No. <laughs> I mean I don't call it that frequently or ever really, except for now. So uh but anyway, yes. Yeah, so if there's strange noises abounding now, you know why. And if there is anything strange that is not explained by either of those explanations, we will explain it further. And now for the rest of the strangeness, us talking about Amadeus. But first, a special pour one out for Stephen Sondheim. Yes. True bummer. Yes. I, you know, I took a class in college all about Stephen Sondheim. Did you? Uh, it was what I call a GPA saver. And <laughs> yeah, I took it in uh, uh, summer school. I did. Oh, Mark Harmon style. I did a summer I did a summer class. Yeah. No. Um and it was it was very cool. We it was like, you know, just the music of Stephen Sondheim and what he did that set him apart and how his like craft developed and how he tried different different things throughout the year and I have in my my past life doing musical theater, acting right. in musical theater, had the pleasure of performing in two Shows that cool. Sondheim wrote songs for. Funny thing happened on the way to the forum and Assassins, and have fond memories of both. And definitely nerding out with the rest of the musical theater crew to different Sondheim songs. Sometimes pretending to like it more than I did, <laughs> as I I admitted to a friend of mine uh, who texted me and you know sent me the link to the to the you know, New York Times. Uh, announce or uh, article and i i was like yeah you know i was just thinking the other day i, I was like you know i think i always pretended i was like i always pretended to like into the woods oh, more yeah, than yeah. i actually did and um <laughs> all due respect to fans all of into respect. the woods yeah 
and and other such shows. But Sondheim, uh, you know, whether whether you were into his stuff or not, he definitely was was in his own league and was a unique voice in musical theater for a long, totally. long time. Totally. Yeah. 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 So I uh, this is Ruined Childhoods. We are talking about cult and classic movies, movies that we love and how they could be brought back as remakes and sequels and whatnot. And, and well, this oh, is and this Sorry. we don't oh. typically do things that have some sort of like actual biographical elements. This is Amadeus is a really weird one because it is I I don't know, historical fiction. What would you call yeah. this? Yes, I, historical fiction is is what it is. It is you know, it's based in some reality, but mostly just, you know, uh, really loose speculation. Yeah. yeah. And just kind of like, oh, this would be, it's kind of like fan fiction. Exactly. Uh, it's like fan historical fiction. There we go. That's that good. Is, I like that. I have, I deem this a term, a thing. I deem this a thing. It is fan historical fiction of the finest order. I mean, like, uh, so any, I mean, I, I have a little bit of history. I'm, I've been a fan of this mm -hmm. for a long time and, um, you know, it was uh, Amadeus was originally a play written by British playwright uh, Peter Schaefer, who also uh, also wrote Equus, a very oh. uh, controversial uh, play, also adapted into a film starring Richard Burton. And um, but so Amadeus was uh, opened on the West End, I want to say, in London in 1979, came over to Broadway, starred the likes of, I think, uh, Simon Callow as Mozart and Paul Schofield as Salieri and uh, Tim Curry also huh. played uh, played Mozart on Broadway, I believe, and, and was considered for the film, as was Mark Hamill. Um, Mark Hamill. Yeah, I know, right? I okay. you think about Mark I think about Mark Hamill's voice performance as the Joker. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, hmm, I would I would enjoy that. But um so Amadeus, so the playwright Peter Schaefer really researched this and based so much of it on different letters and like letters like Mozart had a correspondence with his cousin and uh wrote and wrote these letters that were really like kind of foul and sophomoric <laughs> and that's where he got a lot of the attitudes the you know like mozart who talks about uh you know backwards land where people fart backwards right. and he bl like blows raspberries and you know sticks his ass out at the uh like the the pope or <laughs> yeah well i mean you know it, it makes sense because this is like a somebody who did not really have a childhood and so, because, you know, a child prodigy and, you know, yeah. his father was certainly very, uh, at least the portrayal of his father in the movie Amadeus is certainly very like overpowering and, and domineering. And it, oh. and it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And it makes sense that, you know, he would kind of have this arrested development. And uh, yeah, so I, that makes a lot of sense to me. So anyway, I mean, I, I don't want to go too much into the details before the synopsis, but uh, the, Amadeus came out in 1984 and was so immensely popular that like I was uh, seven and I I had the soundtrack. 
I watched it as soon as I could. I think I think it was it might have been a library rental. Oh, and, interesting. But as soon as it was, I didn't see it in the theater. I was, <laughs> I was definitely t- like I was probably like I probably would have loved it, but you know, arguably not a movie to take a, a seven year old to. Yeah. So, I, but I loved it on VHS, and I saw it. I I don't know how many times over the years uh and i've always had a copy of it whether it's uh actually i don't know if i had a i don't know if i had it on vhs hmm. um mm. but i feel like I, it's one of those movies that even from from the first time i saw it there were things that stood out to me there were things that i always will remember and i always and i see them and when i watched it this past week they look the same as I remembered them from my first viewing. Huh. And we talk, we've talked before about movies that, and then I'm going to shut up and let you get to the synopsis, <laughs> but we have talked about movies that um, I totally lost my train Movies of that like <laughs> left an, an impression on you that kind of influenced you. Is that where you're going? Or are you talking more about... Uh, oh, no, movies, sorry, here's what I was saying. Movies that, even watching them on VHS for uh-huh. the first time, like watching a pan and scan uh, VHS on a on a, on a TV that, that, you know, probably isn't even a stereo television in, in the mid-80s, and it's still having that power to to capture and like I, there's a lot of it that I didn't get and there's sure like, there's a lot that I've picked up along the way about yeah. it and I'm like oh oh so that's what's happening <laughs> but for, but but the great thing about this movie the amazing thing about this movie is not that much like there's really not that I mean I'm saying there's not that much that I really couldn't follow even yeah. as as a kid right yeah no I mean uh, I'll give you the synopsis it's very short but you know, it's pretty simple. Antonio Salieri is an ambitious musician and worked his way to be the official composer for the Austrian emperor. But Salieri was faced with a popular musical phenom named Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, who consistently reminded him of his own mediocrity by outperforming and outwitting him at every turn. But as it turns out, Mozart was very bad with his personal finances, and Salieri took advantage of this, emotionally manipulating Mozart and his entire family to ruin the life of and eventually kill Wolfgang. That's my synopsis. That's essentially it. He, yes. I mean, yeah, to go into more detail would be to like go into an analysis of the film. So I, I will just give it this much more information. So the movie is framed from the retelling of a now elderly Salieri who is confessing his story, not so much as a like he feels guilty about it, but he's telling this priest the story of him and Mozart because he had attempted suicide and uh, needed to get institutionalized, if that's what how I'm reading it, is you know he kind of is well, put into a facility to, uh, you know, for him to recover. It's yeah, and and get treatment, and uh, you know, before launching into uh, just kind of what I have, I did want to I want to shout out that. Uh, there's an article that I read uh, 
just in doing a little light research, um, doing an article that was published uh, in February 2015 uh, by Clemency Burton Hill on uh, BBC's uh, culture site. And the art, the article is set, the article is called What Amadeus Gets Wrong, <laughs> which is which the movie is not. It's not that's kind of or, missing or sorry, the, point. the article. Sorry, the article is not suggesting that it is at all like bad. And Got it, it actually it, what I what I liked about what I'm glad I actually read this article is it talks about how different choices that were made help frame the fantasy about it and that like Peter Schaefer has never pretended like this was he's like he's quoted in this article as saying obviously Amadeus on stage was never intended to be a documentary biography of the composer he admits and the film was even less of one and it says and I'm just going to quote from this because this was the point that I was coming to is ingeniously he gets around the problem by having Salieri by this stage an old terminally ill and classic unreliable narrator show and tell us everything Nope, it's true. Yeah. And it's just one of the many, like, this is what I'm talking about, the nuance and what you can, as as you get older and have right. more of an eye for things, just so much of what you notice. But yeah. Th- and sorry, it's, and it's interesting because, you know, the way you're telling, when you're saying that, it's like, yeah. And then it's like, well, how would he know about what's going on when he's not there? And it's like, that's right. He hired in secret this woman to be their housekeeper and tell him everything that happens there. <laughs> and totally a device that I was uh that I was looking for throughout this was how he was getting pieces of the story and yeah. that you would always see the, the Cynthia Nixon uh right in the background or that Salieri would be like there he'd be like at the you know vaudeville hall yeah. uh he was you know, always hiding. he was always around. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just so genius because it it all just it all just made sense and it's something about this movie that that I love is is how how much it just flows yeah and it it builds and also oh my god F Murray Abraham deserving that Oscar oh, I mean F in Murray Abraham is more yeah, like it yeah, man. right. And uh, Tom Hulse is is so good as Mozart oh. and and it certainly deserved the nomination. But F. Murray Abraham, who won the Oscar uh, over Tom Hulse, like that was such a performance. And uh, holy shit, like I can't but, think of per- performances in anything that are that powerful. And that, you know what like, I was thinking done. about. I was thinking about how so much of uh, and and like he he has a lot of screen time, but a lot of his performance is done in the narration. Yeah, and I was thinking about just the the emotion in his voice and how his narration and the film are so perfectly matched together that I said, "I'm like, this is not just brilliant acting. This is brilliant voice acting." Yeah, mm-hmm. and he puts it, it just and. Also, my God, the age, the aging, not just the acting. The age, yeah, the make, well, it won playing, best, it won the Oscar for makeup, I believe. Uh, I, I mean, think so. I, would, I know, it, yeah. It, Costumes, as, as we are reminded, design, like. As we are reminded in the last action hero, it won eight Oscars. Oh, it won so. eight Oscars, that's right. <laughs> Practice. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, this he movie, killed Mozart. Yeah, so this movie, like, and what's so great is that 
I don't know, like Salieri, I, I kind of wonder if he did all of the narration kind of like in the makeup and in the costume because like it flows so well. And in order to like get to that place where he's, I don't know, like doing that voice performance, like to be able to like tap into that, I feel like being like in character completely would really help with that since because like there's a lot of movies where there's narrators who you never see on screen and it doesn't matter. Uh, And and this one, you know, it does come back to him periodically and that poor priest who's just like, Oh fuck. (laughs) This is crazy. I love the, and, and, and you brought up the priest. Another element of this film that I love is the humor. Yeah. And, and of course, like it gets dark as the tale continues and and we'll get to uh Salieri's uh relationship with with God which is not something I picked up as much on uh-huh. as as a 7 year old but it, the um oh how Oh geez, how do his you relationship with uh, God is that what you're where you're going? No, 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 no. He's before before his relationship with with God. Oh boy, I, sh- I had a uh, the humor right about uh, the, the humor. Yeah. Thank you, the humor. So the humor of it. So the priest had like at that first moment when Salieri is like trying to like hint to him like, oh, this is who I am, and he's playing yeah. the different songs, and then he plays dun, and and the priest dun, is dun, like. Dun, uh, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Oh, I know that. Oh, yeah. th- I love that's that. Part. Oh, that's, oh, you wrote that. Oh, that's, and it's so funny because he's like, a, he's like your old neighbor, like looking at like when you're eight years old and you you're, you're like make a painting uh-huh. and your, your neighbor's like, oh, you drew that. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. And that's the tone that the priest has. And then he's just, you see the look on his face when Salieri's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and that's such a perfect way to like really describe his feelings about Mozart, where it's just like, no, these other things, like, uh, you know, uh, people dug them. They like they were big, and they sh- it should be the kind of thing that you would recognize when you heard it. But instead, there's Mozart, and he's the one that everyone's remembering. And and the the device of Salieri's feud with God, like his pact with God and how he really he sees God as being responsible for everything that happens in his life from even like his father's death. When, yeah. when his father doesn't want him to to play music and then he and chokes, Salieri. Yeah. Yeah, and then he jokes to death, and Salieri's like, "Thank you, God." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, which is which is funny because it's kind of like Salieri. It's it's showing right from the beginning that, like, it establishes him as a killer or yeah. someone who at least uh, doesn't mind using death to get ahead, like right. eliminating his obstacles. Yeah, and it, and it's interesting because it's not like he goes to. Mozart's apartment and like stabs him or something, which he probably could have very easily done. There's no DNA then. <laughs> and but instead he decides to like, you know, I uh, break him down piece by piece emotionally and like, I don't know, it's amazing. Oh, the psychological torture yeah. of dressing up using the, the costume. Cause there's another part when Salieri is following them around at like the masquerade. Right. 
when uh, he's like secretly there when Mozart goes out and he does like he's doing all the, like the little parlor tricks and yeah. it's funny because his father's disgusted with him and it's, meanwhile it's like this is what you raised him to do I love that moment Asshole. where his father I mean it's such an iconic moment but he looks at his father who's wearing this like it's a masquerade party and you know his father is wearing this like giant black cloak with this terrifying looking mask where one side of it has like a smile and the other side is like a terror very stern yeah very stern voice and he looks at his and mozart looks at his father and it's got like the stern face and then he whips around and it's got the like big smile on it and he like smiles but then he picks the mask up and it's his father with the stern look on his face and it's just so like oh jeez it that one sticks with you well and that's also the, the scene where he he mocks Salieri, not no, not realizing that Salieri is there. Yeah. So Mozart is playing little ditties by other composers, and he's like, "Who next? Who next?" And then Salieri, in disguise, says, "Play Salieri." Salieri. Now that is a challenge. Ah. That is a challenge. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> Well, he puts on this face. He like does this this face, yeah. which is like this weird scowl version of 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 F. Murray Abraham. Yeah. Um, which also brings to mind the scene when Mozart first arrives at, at court, right? And Salieri has composed a march in his honor because this is when Salieri is still. Like he's not entirely disillusioned. Yeah, he's become. He's. He, this is. This is. After. He kind of he happens to over, right another part where he's there. He sneaks into the dessert room. Yeah, and and then he hides. Uh, that's another great thing about tooth. Salieri's. He yes, I was just yeah. thinking that the sweet tooth, the Salieri's sweet tooth, uh, gets him into so much trouble. Yes, uh, it does. Um. So and this is when he's in the room and and it's uh, uh St- I think it's Stanzi that that Mozart yeah. comes in with, and like he so does good. the whole ba- backwards yeah Elizabeth Barrage shout she's out she's amazing, uh and Mozart does the whole uh backwards world thing and you know pe- the people even fart backwards yeah he like speaks and- backwards and like she has to kind of. Decoded oh, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Eat my shit, he says. Like oh, God. he's such a little child. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And he and then and then next thing you know, he you hear the music, you hear Mozart's music, and he's like, They're playing my music. They started without me. They start and that's what that's the moment when Salieri's like, What the fuck is happening? Well, he doesn't like, know that that's this person that no. he's heard about. Yeah. No, not until that moment. Yeah. Not until that moment. And then, oh, I love when he's like walking around and he's picking up, he picks up the music and he's, you hear the music in Salieri's head as he's reading it. And the guy just takes it out of his hands. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. So when, uh, when Mozart is officially like welcomed into 
meet the emperor, which is probably like the next day or something like that. He, right. uh, yeah, so Salieri composed this march for him Very that the good. emperor, played by Jeffrey Jones, uh, dirtbag in IRL, uh, he like is learning how to play like from Salieri and you know, he's like playing the march and then Mozart hears it just like once and then says like, but you know, it would be better if it was like this. And he like does the whole yeah. thing and he like improves on it. And he is just like, not, it doesn't even seem like he's thinking at all about what he's doing. His fingers are just flying. Well, and he's so tactless about it. Yeah. That he also like at a certain point he just looks at Salieri and he goes, It's pretty much the same from here on in, right? Bravo, Majesty! Less enthusiasm, I beg you. Ah. Mozart. Majesty. Oh, no, please, please. It's not a holy relic. <laughs> you know, we have met before in this very room. Perhaps you don't remember it. You were only six years old. He was giving the most delightful concert here. As he got off the stool, he slipped and fell. My own sister, Antoinette, helped him up. And you know what he did? He jumped into her arms and said, Will you marry me, yes or no? <laughs> You know all these gentlemen, I'm sure. The Baron Van Sweeten. I'm a great admirer of yours, young man. Oh, thank you. Capelmeister Bono. Signore. My pleasure. The director of our opera, Count Orsini Rosenberg. Oh, sir, yes, the honor is mine. Absolutely. And here is our illustrious court composer, Maestro Salieri. At last. Such immense joy, diletto straordinario. I know your work well, signore. Do you know I, I actually composed some variations on a melody of yours? Oh, really? Which one? Mio caro adonne. Well, I'm flattered. A funny little tune, but it yielded some good things. And now he has returned the compliment. Herr Salieri composed this little march of welcome for you. Really? Oh. Grazie, signore. Sono commossa. Oh. This is yours. Keep it, Majesty, if you want. It's already here in my head. What? On one hearing only? I think so, sire. Yes. Show us. Think. 
<laughs> so rude. Which brings up I brings up another in like kind of parallel that I drew while watching it most recently was how this you know this movie comes out like as MTV is really hitting its boom. Uh-huh. It's that mid eighties MTV and it's being made like during the early days of MTV and where like, you know, pop stars are these, you know, large living celebrities. Right. And, um, and you know, not that it starts in the eighties, but like we really start, we really see it in the, in the eighties. We see the excess. It's, it's flashed much more out in front. And you have the, this idea of the the really you know the 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 artists of of um you know mediocrity being the ones who are successful, and every now and again you uh-huh. have someone who's a real artist that breaks out. But like especially at the part when the when uh, the emperor praises Salieri's opera and says, oh, it's the best opera I've ever heard. It comes right after a scene where Salieri is like, the emperor's musical tastes are really simple. Uh-huh. And yeah. it's kind of like how, you know, the people the people like this three-chord crap. Like, yeah. the people like this, you know, whatever, synth stuff, whatever. Uh, that's, that's what the people like. And I was thinking about how frustrated Mozart gets when he is, like, when he's talking about the marriage of Figaro. Uh-huh. And or when he like when or I think it's like after the opera, like after the marriage of Figaro and when the emperor's like, uh, there were too many notes. Yeah. And and it's like it's like I I when I was watching it, I thought so much of Brian Wilson. <laughs> and I was like, man, I bet you this is what Brian Wilson felt like trying to like explain smile to like, yeah. you know, like to his Mike father. Love. I don't know if his to Mike Love, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I imagine the t- I, that's exactly what I wrote in my notes was like I could hear Mike Love saying too many notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> and I totally like as especially as Mozart like unravels, and you think about the kind of specter of his father standing yeah. over him, and you think about Murray Wilson, sure. Brian Wilson's kind of tyrannical father who exploited his children. Absolutely, for their talent. yeah. I was like, oh. My- Oh man, I'm like this is really like I don't think there's any intention in this, but right, right, really, right. it reminds me like it's very in a very general way, kind of like the the you know washed up '80s rock star, uh, especially at the end, you know when when he looks like you know like uh, Boy George in the latter part of the Behind the Music <laughs> episode, um, <laughs> and he's like falling asleep during interviews because uh, all the heroin, yeah. Um, which Mozart's doing, he's passing out while he's, you know, performing. Yeah. So I was thinking about that and thinking about Brian Wilson and then also thinking about like Kurt Cobain and, uh, the, the kind of struggles of trying to have integrity, but also be financially successful and, you know, you know, I don't know. I don't know if Kurt Cobain was ever really called a sellout. I'm sure someone at one point did, you know. Well, I mean, from Seattle, may, probably when they went the from Seattle like area. an independent label to doing Nevermind, yeah. you know, which yeah. was what, Warner Brothers? Like, I'm sure that at some point- uh, Geffen, there, yeah. Geffen, yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. is that owned by Warner? I don't through, know. Through Warner Brothers, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Anyway, like, I'm sure no. that somebody, I'm sure there were plenty of people who were just like, yes. oh, such no. sellouts, yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like that, that feeling like, well, can I still like do what do I have to do? Can like how creative can I get? How artist, how much can I go, get out there and still have that goodwill from the audience, which, right. which Mozart kind of, which he loses. Yeah. And he, and he creates, you know, he's creating brilliant work, but. Yeah, he loses. He loses the audience. He loses the masses. Yeah, no, it's a uh, it's a really fascinating view of this world that, like, you know, we know we all know Mozart. Like when it comes to classical music, Beethoven and Mozart, those are the two big names. Those are the ones. And like Brahms would like to have a word. Oh, no, I'm kidding. Brahms is j- Brahms is hanging out, like just kind of waiting in the wings. But it's like those are the two like big ones and you have depth like everybody has heard mozart at least a little bit whether you know it or not and uh, yeah at the time based on this telling of his life you know uh, i it, it's interesting to see him as somebody who's struggling and somebody who doesn't necessarily have the mainstream success that we think i mean it's like he does but he also kind of like he's struggling. Yeah. He's struggling financially. I mean, he dies. They dump him in a pit. They di- I, that part is the most like oh, when they just take the so... coffin, you see the flapping side of it, and you're just like oh, what's that? Oh, that's right. He's just gonna get dumped into a pit of yeah. bodies. Ugh, it's ooh, yeah, it's sad, but it's such a. It, what I love about this movie is it's such a journey, and by the time you get to that point. You also like you're ready for it, but I don't feel that this is a movie. And I I speak more in terms of the theatrical cut than the director's cut, uh-huh. which I think I think the director's cut uh, adds a little too much. You know, I don't um, know what the difference is because uh, I I bought it on Apple TV and it's the director's cut. So there was yeah no other the original option. cut I. I want to say that if I did have have it on VHS, then what I had, I, in fact, I think I did, and what I had was the theatrical cut, uh-huh. and it, it moves on. What it what it doesn't include is the subplot uh, when Mozart, like when the emperor's niece is coming and she needs a tutor, uh, a music instructor, right, and like. And Mozart doesn't want to have to like audition for the job. He doesn't want to have to like submit yeah. work. He thinks he he should just get it. So Stanzi brings his, you know, sneaks his his work out and brings it over. So to that whole Salieri's. thing wasn't in the theatrical cut. No, the theatrical cut is rated PG. So this I whole was subplot say, about because I was like, there's titties in this. Well, this whole thing where Salieri is basically like where she where she shows up with the music and and she strips down and then Salieri like calls in his service and he's like, get this hoe out of here. Yeah. Well, and and that's <clears throat> definitely one of those moments where, you know, because I say in the synopsis that, you know, he manipulates Mozart and his family because like by yeah. doing that to Stasi, he's he's um manipulating her into like, you know, she thinks that he has so much more control. And so like in her eyes, Salieri is more of a menacing character and, you know, uh, Wolfgang doesn't know about all this stuff that's going on. And you can see it towards the end when uh, 
um, at, of one of the last scenes when she comes home and Salieri is, you know, he was the one that was writing down the the requiem as Wolfgang was like dying and uh, reciting it to him. And uh, she sees him and she's just like, get the fuck out of my house, you monster. Yeah. Well, and and so like that's got that one, that edition, which is the most noticeable edition. I actually think that does make sense. There are other little things that are thrown in that I feel like are just kind of like solidifying a point. And I can't think gotcha. exactly okay. what, but that's the one that really stands out because it was like, and I mean, I remember because when I was seven and I was watching it and there are those dresses that reveal quite a bit of bosom. Oh, yeah. And I thought, I thought, well, there's, there's partial titties in this, <laughs> the but top not part in, not in their entirety entire titty and i apologize uh um and uh i remember them watching the director's cut and and thinking oh okay the bottom All part right. so there there we go there's now we know what the direct you know yeah right all right i uh, so yeah yeah it, it's uh it's just such a unique and like masterful film. It's it's that, amazing. It's really really amazing. Oh, I mean, yeah. You know, Milos Forman, uh certainly no slouch when it comes to making incredible movies. Uh and this is, you know, in the in the top what, two? I mean, Cuckoo's Nest, I think, you know, depends on what you're in the mood for, but Probably equally as I mean, brilliant, but uh, you know, I think that the uh, the source material for this one, um, you know, the play certainly gives it a. I don't know, just like it really bends your mind into thinking, like, huh, what if? Like, I don't know. It's so cool. The play. Have you ever seen? No, the I play? haven't. No. Okay, so. Um... I actually, I do, I have a copy of it, um, not, not for directing at high school, but just like I found it in a used bookstore one day and was like, I wouldn't mind having this. Right. Uh, and I worked, so when I went, when I was in college at Mason Gross School of the Arts, my, my freshman year, uh, I was there for acting, but like we, we learned how to work, you know, different, uh, aspects of crew. And I, I worked crew for a production of Amadeus. Oh, and uh so i got to see quite a bit of it and like it's as a play it takes a lot of it it takes a huge step cool. that the movie just expands on and he it, he takes the story of the attitude is the story and the attitude of the play and he just like realizes it to its fullest potential cool like he just everything he takes it and is like, okay, now we're gonna do what only cinema can do with this. Uh huh. And yeah, yeah. I mean, what can I say? It's it's. I feel like it's flawless. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd have to agree with you. And uh, before we get on to what we would, you know, it's gonna be so weird to kind of talk about what we would do with this. Uh, as a sequel, prequel, whatever. But uh, I do want to give a shout out to a particular Mr. Show with Bob and David sketch. Dan, do you know which one I'm talking about? 
Um, you would know it. You, it. Don't even try to um because you would know okay. it if I said. So I. Yeah. Uh, there is a famous marching band composer named Falooza, and there's a uh, this other marching band composer named like Sally. Like you know, it's it's clearly a, a lampoon of this whole story, and you know, Sally's just like mocked by this like personification of mediocrity. And all he wants to do is like be this like great marching band composer, and he's like. He makes his wife have like dozens of children to try to make a marching band, but they all turn out to be drummers. And uh, <laughs> I, yeah, and it's and Bob Odenkirk plays. Uh, f uh, I think it's like John Baptiste Falooza or something like that. And he's uh -huh. like this big dummy, and uh, they're trying to do this thing where it's like he performs for like the president, the 11th president, the 11th president or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> it's, it's so good. And, um, yeah, uh, David Cross is the, is Sally. So it's, it's so good. I definitely, do I don't know if I, there's enough time to play a, uh, of the full thing, but maybe I'll see if I can find a few seconds to play. I'm going to the general store for a But bicarbonates and cream dice were merely a distraction. I needed a melody. For in two days, Hilford Hansen, the 112th President of the United States, was to hold a marching band competition. Suddenly, the wellsprings gushed forth. But lo, t'was not from me. Rather, it sprang from that amorous rogue, Falooza. Hey, Sally, what's up? Falooza. Hello, uh, hello, ladies. I... What was that melody you were humming a moment ago? I don't know, nothing. Why? I wrote it down in case you wanted it. Why would I want that old thing when I can have this? John Baptiste Falooza's music revealed a world of unimaginable beauty. Was this God and the angels conversing? Or was it the devil? Or was it God and the devil interrupting each other? I'm, do you know what season it's it's from? Probably like the third season, if I had to guess. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. I'll find the clip for it and I'll send it to you and maybe we'll put it in the... Uh, the episode description the show notes but nice. it's so much fun i love it so much and it's like it gets it so perfectly it's just delightful uh but yeah dan i don't know what what would you do with this this is uh, this is such a weird have we done one where there's actually been about like a real person before or real people for the for this case uh, not that i can think of yeah. off off the top of my head but I think that the the kind of fan fiction aspect of it, I mean, it lends itself to a, to a certain extent of 
of doing something with of doing something with it or doing something with this story. Uh-huh. So I had a couple of ideas and then I just was like, you know, just kind of thought about like, well, if things went in different directions, what would I want to see? And uh, I feel like what you could do is like, I would watch, I would totally watch like, a, you know, three part series or something. Like I'm thinking about the, the Beatles. Uh, oh yeah. Thing yeah. That, yeah just premiered on Disney plus, you know, a limited, a limited thing that kind of takes the play, um, a documentary series that takes the aspects of the, of the movie. And I guess the play as well that, you know, that are debatable and kind of then shows in parallel, like what was the truth? What was the the Uh actual history? So maybe something about that or, you know, just something, you know, a documentary about Salieri and Mozart who did know each other. Right. Like they did have a relationship. Um, I, I also thought like, well, wouldn't it be interesting if, if there was some more information about Salieri out there where you could make a, a companion piece that's about Salieri though. I don't think you would do it in the same vibe. I think it would be more of like how, you know, just kind of a movie that goes along with this almost like 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 Ruby to JFK or yeah yeah something like that um i was thinking about like who would i want to see remake this or do this and i was thinking like of maybe maybe not a film remake uh-huh. but um a stage revival directed by Baz Luhrmann Oh yeah, Baz Luhrmann would be fun. Who's having a big success with Moulin Rouge, and I feel like this—if if there's any other movie that kind of matches the vibe of this that I can think of, it's probably like Moulin Rouge. I Moulin Rouge. I uh, I mean, I kind of feel like Marie Antoinette. I uh, would be yes, yes, yes like Sofia yes. Coppola. Yes, um, yes. That's also another I, one where it's like it's taking this this era. And it's showing you kind of like, I don't know, the how weird people were, <laughs> you know, how weird people were. And it's but it's also making the like Marie Antoinette also, you know, through the the, the use of of music through mostly. Mu- music. Yeah. Um, but also I think of like the, the writing, I think Marie Antoinette also does a lot. It's a, that's a movie that, that I enjoyed a lot and, and was happy to have seen in the theater when it was out. It, it does, it draws those connections to present day, yeah. which uh, Amadeus doesn't do it as like blatantly, but I mean, there's a, anachronistic dialogue and the use of like the use of accents, how anyone who I think had a German accent in it just spoke with an American accent. Oh, (laughs) and how like F Murray Abraham used a, like just a little Italian. Well, I think that, uh, Milos Forman, I think I saw this in like IMDB quote unquote trivia. I, told them to not worry about accents and just to focus on the characters, which makes sense. Right. You know, right. I, I find yeah. it sometimes to be more distracting when they're trying to do an accent and doing it poorly than when they're just not doing an accent at all. Um, yeah. Although and, I have to give and, a shout out. I, 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 I'm sorry, just in, in terms of that, I, I had a movie on recently where I at first was like, oh no, they're doing an accent. But really good was Adam Driver and Adam Garfield in Andrew um, Garfield, 
Andrew Garfield, mm-hmm. sorry, in Silence, Silence, Martin Scorsese's Silence. I haven't Silence. seen that one. I just, I kind of was like, I'm going to, I'm like, you know what? It's it's Thanksgiving weekend. I'm just <laughs> going to like, you know, try to get some like light work done and put on this movie. And uh, yeah, anyway, really good. Uh, but, you know, but yes, the accents can be very distracting. In this case, uh, uh, one movie. And, you know, silence reminds me of it. I think they were even out at the same time. But one movie where accents are used heavily and uh, to great effect is The Lighthouse. Oh. Have you seen The Lighthouse? I have seen The Lighthouse. Oh, yeah. I had to put the subtitles on for that one because it's Uh, so hard to like... I'm like, I'm glad I saw it. I didn't see it in the theater because I'd have been like, what the fuck are they saying? But yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. That one was uh, pretty astonishing, and the the accents were necessary and not di- not distracting, even though you couldn't understand what they were saying because it was it worked for the, for that. You, it was you understood what you needed yeah. to understand because the acting was so good. But what I was going to say uh, is that in Amadeus, uh, you know, Tom Hulse is so like you know at the beginning you're just like. Huh, okay, just like very American accent, but you forgive it very quickly. And then once he gets into oh, that yeah. laugh the first time, that very silly, like Mickey Mouse laugh, it's just like, oh, something is going on here. This is interesting. And you you yes. just, everything about it then just makes sense. A- absolutely. And, and sorry, John, I have one more, I I've one more, um, idea of just something I would like to see done with this, and it's probably the easiest and most likely thing to do. I would love to see a uh, like a 4K remastered screening with a live orchestra. Oh yeah, like a yeah, absolutely. Or even not with a like like I would love to go see a just a four like in the like just best theater possible. Yeah. And because I've never seen it on a big screen, and oh, I think it yeah, just I'm calls sure it's for incredible. That. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I what you know I I often go to that. I, I go into that well when it comes to like you know these magnificent movies that are just so striking and like gorgeous and sound so huge, and uh, yeah. seeing it in a theater is definitely the thing that needs to be done. So some sort of like tour of it would make a lot of sense with a, a live orchestra. Yeah. And that is that your Oh no 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 no. Um oh. <laughs> the only thing that I was thinking though is that what maybe wouldn't work as well with the live orchestra is because there's so much music that's being performed as part of the scenes that yeah. might not work. But I was thinking about yeah. that as well. So that that was why maybe just like a just badass re-release yeah. at like like if like if the Cinerama in Seattle is was still open or uh-huh. I'm like I just want to go see it on a big screen with awesome sound. Yeah. No, no, no. My so my idea is playing on this this concept of a you know, historical fan fiction. And this is a a playwright's theory and like kind of imagination running wild. And it would be really neat to see somebody else's imagination and theory. And like, because the the death of Mozart is kind of 
like a mysterious thing. It's it's a little like the details, to my knowledge, aren't fully out there. So it would be cool to like see somebody else dip into this and give their what if version of the life and death of Mozart. And I think that'd be pretty cool. What are you looking up on your phone? I was looking up because you said like the death of Mozart and that made me think of the death of Stalin, which made oh. me think of <laughs> Armando Inucci. Okay. Who I, I, it occurs to me, I was like, I wonder if that would be like <laughs> the good person, if that would be a good person. To so kind of it. like a farcical, uh, you know, more silly type of, I mean, I, I don't mean, know what death if, of Stalin. I don't know if I'd call it silly, but it was certainly very funny. And yeah. Oh, it's very satirical. Great movie. But uh, like, I mean, I don't know. What if you had a, what if you had an old, uh, Cynthia Nixon? What <laughs> like, <laughs> Cynthia like Nixon starting was so good. As, man, she was so young. It was so funny. She's to like, see. I could have stopped it. She's at like the funeral, like whatever little yeah. funeral Mozart has, like she's there. That's true. Well, she was so his housekeeper. Is, it's like, I could have stopped it. I could have saved yeah. Mozart. And then she ends up in confession. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't I don't know exactly how it would be different, but I just think it would be fun to do like a different take on it. You know, it's kind of like, or what if this happened? And, but yeah. to like have somebody, and the, the only person that really comes to mind for me is Paul Thomas Anderson, just because like, you know, he just really brilliantly like brings to life these these fascinating characters mm. and these great set pieces and, you know, has touches of humor even in the more dramatic things and is just able to really like spin together a, a full, a fully formed, like, I don't know, I window into like magnificent lives. So uh, I think that PT Anderson would be my pick to do something like this. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I I really like that idea. That would that has my eyebrows raised. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I don't know, Dan, is there anything that you wanted to mention about Amadeus? Uh, I will say we talked about Amadeus the past two episodes because we were talking in two episodes ago when we were just like having a conversation between the two of us just about movies and stuff. We talked about the the poster art for it because you were mentioning how much you liked it. And then I had mentioned my affinity for Polish poster art. And uh, yes. the Polish version of the Amadeus poster, I think, I think is even better than <laughs> the one that you are, that we're all familiar with, you know, with the, the father's kind of dark presence and well, the father <laughs> slash Salieri. Why? What's up? Is it just like Salieri's hand holding the bloody razor blade from the beginning in the air with like Vincent Chiavelli eating a cream puff? <laughs> Vincent Chiavelli is so corner. good. Um, Vincent Chiavelli is great. A Milo's Foreman regular. Oh, absolutely. Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I can pull uh, it up so Larry I can. Larry Flint. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm going to see if I can just. Yep. So the Amadeus poster, I'm pulling it up for. Uh, for Dan to see, but I'll also put it in the in the show notes. But it's kind of like a bust of Amadeus oh. that's broken. I'm assuming that would be Mozart's, but but it's like a bust that is just yeah. like all broken and shattered and stuff. It's very cool. I, I mean, yeah, I think that, that the really cool. the traditional 
you know, studio version is also pretty great, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's also like that costume is so much like the shots when when Salieri is walking through the streets wearing oh, yeah. the costume. Whatever material that is, they picked the right one. The way that it flows yes. is just magnificent. They made all the right choices. And the Academy agrees with that. <laughs> but and and you know what? It's like, yeah, the I think the Academy Award only means, you know, uh, has has at least come to only mean so much. But right. I, I, I think in this case, it was like th- th- this was the right choice. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it was up against for like costume design or makeup or, you know, set design and stuff, but it's, it's so good. And and it's like, you can't argue that you just can't. It's, it's so also good. 19. Also it's, it's kind of like it, the, the movies of night, like the, the, the best movies of 19, of 1984, are like the most memorable movies of 1984 are not the Oscar movies. They're the Karate Kid, right. Ghostbusters, Last Starfighter. That's true. Uh, yeah, I, I could I could go on and you on. You know, so one thing that I was thinking about while watching it this past week was that, you know, at the time, there was another director who was very active that I thought would have been a really interesting person to do this, and that's Stanley Kubrick. I think that he would have put together an incredible version of this. And I, th- I feel like... Uh, had he not done Barry Lyndon. Right. And already. and I think that right. that's why I was thinking about it because of like the lighting and, you know, which Barry Lyndon was famous for how it was lit and stuff. Well, and they invented cameras for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like, I, I think you might have a good point that that would have been a reason for him not to do it. But I, uh, I don't know. I, I thought, I think that like, I would be interested to have seen what kind of spin he would have put on it. I mean, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a huge, I stand, stand, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge Kubrick fan. Yes. Uh, uh, and yeah, I, I mean, this is, Amadeus is one of my f- favorite movies of all time and I love Milos Forman's take on it yeah. and, and yeah, but no, I would definitely, I, if there's like, oh, there's a Kubrick cut of this, yeah. what? <laughs> uh, so Dan, why don't we tell everyone yeah. what we're doing on our next episode? You know, John, our next, I, I feel like we talked this one up as, as being kind of a challenge. I feel like our next, our, our movie for our next episode is more of a challenge. It's more of a challenge because I don't, I don't know what you do. This is, I, this is a tough one and I'm, I'm already, I'm already struggling with it, but knowing that next week we are going to be doing 1995s, or not next week, next episode, we are going to be talking about 1995's Tommy Boy. Yeah. And knowing that Chris Farley is sadly no longer with us. Yep. Uh, it's, uh, nor is Brian Dennehy for that matter. Um, well, he wasn't with us for most of Tommy Boy. Well, that's true. Anyway... Um, it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that I look forward to taking on. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Uh, it is such a classic, you know, mid nineties, Lorne Michaels production. Like, I, the, the Chris Farley of it aside, it is a fantastic, super fun movie and I'm excited to talk about it with you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dan, as you are dumped into a mass grave with uh, unnamed uh, <laughs> sacks of bodies, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. 
Genau das war sein Flair. Er war ein Virtuose, war ein Rocky-Doll und alles ruft noch auf den Kappen. Rock me up, my dick is up. Wunderbar, wunderbar, wunderbar. 